Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 292 of the Running Rogue podcast. This is your host, Chris McClung, coming to you from Austin, Texas. Excited to be with you and excited to be bringing you this conversation that I'm sharing with you today. I'm talking to Nicole Winter in a Q&A conversation with her Instagram followers about race week preparations, those final things to think about when you're getting ready for race week, which is perfect considering that we're in the middle of the fall racing season. Those that don't know Nicole, you can check out episode 278. She joined me to tell her story in my work with her on hopefully getting her to a Boston qualifier in February. And I've done a couple of Q&As with her followers on Instagram, and they're always really good and insightful questions. And I think you'll enjoy this one today as well. Gets to everything from how do you think about choosing a race pace to what do you do in final prep for racing, both in terms of that race week with strength workouts or not, and also race week nutrition, but also how to think about the final day and what that final day prep should look like before you head into race day, plus many more questions. So we'll get to that in just a second. A couple of things as we start. First of all, I wanted to thank my sponsors for this episode, Athletic Greens and Zencaster, for their support. I really appreciate it. And I'll be talking as always about some offer codes for those two brands as I go through this conversation through this episode. And then secondly, I wanted to talk about Chicago Marathon. It was a perfect weather day. We had a bunch of rogues there, many of whom had banner days, lots of PRs, lots of, lots of Boston qualifiers. So it was fun to see all those results. I can tell you as a coach, it's nerve wracking to watch and track, but so much good energy flowing through the data lines that day as a lot of the splits were coming back. Really cool, really positive, lots of good results, lots of PRs. And lots of fast times throughout the field from front to back. And I've got to talk a little bit about that. We had amazing, amazing results at the front of the field, especially on the women's side. Ruth Chepengedich from Kenya was just 14 seconds off the world record, running a 2.14.18. Again, just missing that world record set by Bridget Koskai at Chicago by just 14 seconds. And she did it in... The worst possible way it went out way too fast. I think was wrong. was on 207, 208 pace at one point and then faded massively in the latter half. So while that is an amazing result, second fastest marathon ever by a woman, it is also a case study in how not to race a marathon because you want to run even or slightly negative splits. And she did the exact opposite, went out way too hot and faded badly as a result. But this result shows me that she was, because she was so close to the world record, that most likely something in the 212 to 213 range would, would have been possible for her had she actually managed this race a little bit more efficiently with a smarter race plan and a more even split to slightly negative split approach. So it shows you that there's more to go get and that that world record will probably go down at some point if the pacing is more consistent and smooth throughout the race. So congrats to Ruth for running an amazingly fast race and for hanging on. She got the win. And then in second place was the American Emily Sisson, who ran an American record in 218 and change, set the American record that was previously held from earlier this year by Kira D'Amato. She broke that record by 40 seconds, so more or less smashed it. 
ran a perfect negative split, just a slight negative split from the first half to the second half. Had paces with her the whole way. Apparently she messed up her watch splits around mile 10 and so didn't know what pace she was on or whether or not the record was going to go down until she got to the finish line, which is absolutely nuts. But she ran a perfectly executed race, aided by a couple of pacers that helped her throughout. I think one at least was with her all the way through towards the finish. Finished really strong. Her last mile was her fastest mile, so she absolutely crushed it. Perfect execution from Emily Sisson. So excited for her. She's an athlete that is one that I believe in, who I believe does it the right way, has been on my Clean Sport Collective podcast. She is the U.S. half marathon record holder as well, so has a trajectory that showed that this this kind of race was possible, especially with the help of super shoes, and then she just absolutely crushed it. So kudos Emily Sisson for an amazing race, inspiring. And that is a case study in how to run a marathon, how she did it, not how Ruth did it. So look for those even or slightly negative splits if you're going to want your best race out there. And then on the men's side, we had a win from Benson Capruto, who won Boston in 2021, came back, ran this race to a four into a 424 in Chicago. That's at a personal best and is the fastest winning time in Chicago since 2014. So he absolutely smoked it in good weather. On the American side, Connor Mance was the big story. He had his marathon debut in 208, showing that there's a whole lot of excitement and potential for a runner like him, who is really just out of college not too long ago and has already moved up to the marathon and really shows his strength there as a distance runner. So I think we'll see much more from Connor Mance as we go. So look look for that name to make waves in the marathon for the Americans coming up for this next Olympic cycle. So that is Chicago. And again, awesome to see all the results there. Congrats to everybody who raced Chicago and had big PRs in that race. Now, quickly, before I jump to my conversation and the Q&A with Nicole, I wanted to talk about my partner in Zencaster. Thanks to them for supporting this episode. I've been working with them since 2015 when I first started my first podcast, Dads on Duty. They are a service that helps you record audio and video over bandwidth in a way that makes sure that it's high quality and smooth with no issues or hiccups because of issues with bandwidth. So I've been using them for a long time. It's a reliable service that works. So if you'd like to check out Zencaster for your content creation needs, I've got a, a code for you to get 30% off your first three months. If you go to zen.ai forward slash rogue30 and use the code rogue30 when signing up, you'll get that discount. Again, 30% off for your first three months so that you can share your story in a beautiful and seamless way as I do on many of the episodes that I record remotely. And then also, if you'd like to share your brand story through one of the content creators that uses Zencaster, you can also contact them about sponsoring shows like mine. So you can go to zen.ai forward slash running rogue, fill out the contact information there, and they'll get back to you to reach out about sponsoring episodes like this one and sharing your business story via content that matches your brand ethos. So again, go to zen.ai forward slash running rogue, fill out the contact information there 
to reach out for those types of opportunities, for those sponsorship opportunities. So there you go. Highly recommend Zencaster. All right, with that, let's jump into my Q&A with Nicole. And here we go. So Chris, you did your intro. Chris has been my coach, which has been so helpful because we'll get to this maybe at the end. Um, but I'm injured right now and I was supposed to run a half this weekend. Um, so it's been nice to have your guidance. Um, yeah. And that segues kind of into our first question, which was um, when you should consider getting a coach. And I feel like we get asked this every time, but it's important. Before we get to that question, do you want to talk about the injury and yeah. how you're, it, how you're processing it, it all? I mean, yeah. I think people want to hear because it's a common thing that happens. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, oh gosh, what was this? Maybe three weeks ago, I started to complain about pain in my calf. Um, and we were kind of monitoring it. It wasn't so painful that I couldn't run. And then after my, I think it was a 16 miler, um, a couple weekends ago, which was like my best long run ever. I felt so good. I could have kept going. Um, the next day I was limping pretty badly with calf pain. Um, went to the, uh, physical therapist and they think, think it's a stress reaction in my tibia. Um, so no running for me doing the spin bike, um, continuing with my training and just doing cross training instead. Um, and then after my PT appointment this week, my PT thinks it's not best for me to race. And you and I, Chris, kind of decided that together since there's not really much riding on this half marathon, um, that it would be best to drop. And I'm upset. <laughs> I think I've had my time to be sad about it though. Um, and I've processed it. I think my now I'm having the mindset of I just want to be healthy so that I can properly train for my full. So I've kind of shifted. If you talked to me last week about it, I would have been really emotional. Um, but now I feel like I've had my time to be upset. And I think it's perfectly valid. Anybody who's going through an injury to be upset because someone like me, which Chris and I have talked about, I feel like I do everything quote unquote right. Um, and so it's hard to see everybody move on with their training. Um, yeah. when you're injured. So, yeah. Yeah. It's so hard. And, but you're doing everything right. You know, you went to see someone, you got proper advice from a medical provider who knows these things. Well, consulted with me, obviously to make decisions about how we pivot with training and you felt the feels. I mean, that's an important part of the process. I'm sure there were tears involved. Mm -hmm. That's okay. <laughs> That's okay. You want to get all of that out. You can't bottle it up because you're mourning the loss of a goal. You know, this, yeah. even though it wasn't the prime race we're gearing up for, we're gearing up for really the February race. This, this was still a race. You had some energy behind and put a lot of investment in. So losing that hurts. So you got to let all of those emotions go so that you can get to the other side, which is the part where we keep moving. And we know February is the race that really matters, Austin Marathon, going for a Boston qualifier. And so we've done the right steps. We know we've gotten a lot out of this training cycle. One of the things I always remind people of is whether you lose a race because you got injured or you maybe don't have the race that you wanted if you get an outcome that you don't like. No matter what, the training results are still there. And the big goal for us with doing this race in the beginning was to simply key you up for that build to Boston so that you had 
the right tools in place from a half marathon development standpoint to go chase Boston with the opportunity to give you the best chance. All of those training results, even if we lost a couple of weeks here, are still there, are still valid, will help create a foundation to build us to February. So all is not lost, even though sometimes it feels that way. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate you know, the emotion, but I also appreciate the fact that you're ready to move forward and get, get to work again, because there is no change in the February goal, right? That's still there. That outcome is coming. And, and now we just had this little blip along the way. Right. I think one, one of the things that we have to figure out is, you know, sort of what happened. Like, why did this happen? And stress reactions are acute injuries that often result in or result from your body having too much load in that area for whatever reason. And, you know, so we need to, as, you know, a partnership, we need to look at the training elements. We need to look at how you are executing the runs. We also need to talk with your physical therapist about why they think this happened, because sometimes it's biomechanically related and you've got a weakness that leads to these uh, injuries where you overload a part of the body. So we need to sort through those things. And those are questions that we have to ask as we build back. But ultimately, this will be a small blip on the radar. And Mm -hmm. I have no doubt that we'll still smash it in February. Right. Like you said. There's going to be a blip in every training cycle, and this is it, hopefully, the only thing. Um, Knock on wood. Yeah, knock on wood. Um, Somebody asked how I was rehabbing it. Um, I'm going to the physical therapist. They gave me very specific exercises for me, Um, so that wouldn't be super helpful to share, but I do have exercises, strength exercises that I'm doing, and then completely resting from running and doing the spin bike in place of my runs. But yeah, this is exactly though why I think having a coach is important because I would not know what to do in this situation. And I'm the type that will keep running as much as I preach rest. I refuse to believe that I am injured. So I'm the type that will want to push it. Um, So it's helpful to have somebody to kind of guide me along and tell me that it's okay to take a break. Also mentally, I think that's the toughest part is thinking, oh gosh, now I'm not going to run for however many weeks. Like how do I do, I, do we start over? Like, it's, it's just helpful to know that the fitness is still there and to have somebody re- reassure you of those things. So um, do you want to go into that question? Sure. Of why somebody asked when you should consider getting a coach? Well, I think anybody who has goals in running, regardless of how you might perceive them to be big or small, I think should get a coach or should consider getting a coach. And that includes those who might be starting out who are just trying to get off the couch and run that first 5K. You know, we have a couch to 5K program within Rogue where we specifically train beginners to begin their running journey in a way that's safe and that sets them up for setting goals beyond that. And those runners need a coach as much as anybody because they're learning everything from, you know, how to do the actual training pieces to how to think about the gear that you use and wear to how strength training might interface with the running part of it. I mean, there's just so many elements to that new runner and having a coach who can walk you through those things, tell you what you don't know, answer those questions that might be counterintuitive to answer so that you can get to that first 5K. And likewise, that person who has a goal to run a half marathon or a marathon or run a certain time in a certain distance, you're going to benefit from having that outside resource who can provide a different perspective. And 
ultimately what I think about it is, and I was having this conversation with a runner that I coached earlier today, is that, you know, when you sign up with a coach, ideally you want to find a person who treats that relationship like a partnership in that, yes, I'm giving you your training program and we're working together to get your goal. But at the same time, I want your goals as much as you want your goals. And I want to give you all the tools and pieces to help you get there along the way. And that's optimal in a coach is that person who believes and thinks of it that way. So that there is invested in you as you are in it. And when you have that in place, then you have that outside resource, that partner who can, you know, talk you off the ledge when you get injured, who can help you when you're struggling with motivation who can help you work through the mental challenges that you might have as it relates to race fear or race doubts or, uh, you know, struggles you might have in workouts that come up consistently in addition to giving you the nuts and bolts of training. Because if you have a good coach, you'll also find that a lot of the things that you learn are counterintuitive. This idea that you have to slow down most of the time to run faster when you want to is a counterintuitive principle that a coach can help help you adhere to. And that's something I know you've been working on in our relationship mm-hmm. is slowing down on runs. But that's not something that's intuitive. You think, if I want to get faster, I need to run faster all the time. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't work that way. It's a more complicated puzzle. And you just don't know that unless you have a resource like a coach to access. And a lot of people will say then, well, I can't afford a coach. But I would say you can most likely, you know, and it may just, well, it's priorities, but it's also, it may come in different forms. You know, some, some people might access a coach through, you know, an app that provides a relatively uh, cost-effective program that's less customized perhaps to the individual. You have training groups like ours that can be anywhere from $85 a month to $175 a month, depending on the level of personalization you're looking for. And that's an investment, you know, that wouldn't be too dissimilar to maybe a cell phone plan for some people or a cable bill, but where you're actually investing in not only your physical well-being, but ultimately also in becoming a better person because the running path to achieving your goals shapes you in ways that extend well beyond putting one foot in front of the other. And that's what you're investing in. You're investing in yourself as a person, as a human, and of course, you're investing in your own long-term long-term health and well-being. Totally. I think too, when I first started running, I never thought people would hire coaches unless they were elite athletes. So I think that's the thing too, people don't realize that you can still hire a coach if you're just, you know, the everyday person that wants to better themselves. And I mean, ev- in a everyone, yeah, everyone is worthy of a yeah. coach, of having big goals, of having somebody invest in them as you know, an elite athlete would have a coach invest in them. Everyone is worthy of that. And from my coaching perspective, it doesn't matter where your goals fit on the spectrum. You know, mm-hmm. I like to say there's no slow, only degrees of fast. If you're out there trying to do it, you're a degree of fast. And to me, there is there is no judgment or value difference in a goal that is one degree of fast versus another. If you're out there pushing yourself, trying to find your potential, then you are worthy of those goals and of having a coach to help you get there. Totally. Love that. Um, if people want to use you for coaching, do you want them yeah. to DM you? Email? Yeah, you, you can DM, DM me at Rogue Chris. Um, you can also check out our website, roguerunning.com. 
you can email me chris at rogue running directly mm-hmm. you can reach out to you you can connect uh i was us, gonna say yeah but, feel um, free to dm yeah, me as well and i'll connect. A lot of, there's a lot of ways and i'll also i should mention that i have a podcast called running rogue that you can find on all platforms with 291 episodes talking just mm-hmm. about coaching philosophy and tips for your own training and so there's a whole lot of information there as well if you're looking to just figure out some of this stuff at the beginning. Yeah, super good uh, entertainment during a long run to your podcast. Um, okay, moving on, how to find, so, okay, I guess I should preface this. We did questions. I kind of geared people to ask them based on race strategy, um, either leading up to the race or day of, um, because this was supposed to be my race weekend. So that's kind of the theme of questions just for everybody listening. Um, but someone asked how to find marathon race pace, um, and they have just three weeks of training left. So I assume that they are trying to figure out, you know, what they're going to find on race day. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good question. And some of my answer would probably depend on what you've done in training, because that would tell me a lot, but in general, you know, there's several different ways we can triangulate around target race pace. I think I have an entire podcast on this. Um, I don't have that episode off the top of my head, but you can go and search it out there. But one thing we're going to look want to look at is previous race results. So if you have a recent race result from either during your training or just before your training, even if that wasn't a marathon distance, you can plug that into some race calculator, race pace calculators like the one at mcmillanrunning.com. And it can extrapolate for you based on a race result at a 10K, how you might be able to run for a marathon if you were trained for a marathon. And so that would be one way to triangulate around what you can do for race day is looking at other race results and extrapolating out, assuming you're now prepared to run a marathon. The other thing you can look at is your workout results in training. So for me, I will have people do marathon race pace in shorter chunks during the training cycle whether that be during the week for a workout or perhaps during a long run. And I would say most programs have that piece in there somewhere. So if you've done some marathon race pace work, you know, what pace were you running at and how did that feel? You should, you should feel at marathon race pace like you could do it forever, essentially in those smaller chunks. And if you have some of those data points, start to look back at them and think, how did that feel? Was that, something I felt like I could run forever or something that felt too hard and use that as a way to calibrate around potentially what you might be able to do on race on race day. And then, you know, lastly, I, I always want people to think about their goals. You know, what was your goal coming in if you had one and based on your training and your own intuition, how do you think you stack up against that goal? Because that to me matters as well. And some of this comes down to how much risk you're willing to take with the marathon. The marathon's always a risky venture, even if you had the perfect training cycle. There's so much that can go on. You can control all the variables, but weather and all these other things come into play to make it tough. And if you're being more aggressive, then you have more risk. You have more chance that something could go wrong. If you're being more conservative, then you have less risk. And so you might also ask yourself, how much risk am I willing to take relative to the goals that I had? And when I get to that number in my head, 
where does that lead me in terms of pace? So those are the things I like to talk to people about. What are your goals? What do your workouts tell you? And what have other races told you? And then between those things, you can triangulate around something that's possible. Nice. All right. And good luck to whoever that is. Yeah. Three weeks. Paper. Here we go. Yeah. Um, okay. So to go along with that, someone asked, is there a way to practice race strategy in a long run slash pacing? I think there were a few questions around this. Like people are trying to figure out if they're supposed to run slow, how do they practice that marathon pace? Yeah. And I know you just touched on it a little bit, but yeah. So one hallmark that I believe is important to a marathon program, if you're shooting for a specific time is making sure that you're doing long runs with pace work inside of them. I've done an entire episode on the long run. You can go find that on my feed as well. And I give some examples of what those workouts might look like. But I like to pick at least three longer long runs, so 18 to 20 miles, where you're including some pace work inside those long runs. Some of that will be just pure marathon race pace reps. And some of it might be slightly more complicated than that because you also want to generate fatigue in these runs. So sometimes that people run faster than marathon pace and then switch into marathon pace so that you're starting to generate some of that fatigue you might feel on race day. But that's what I suggest is picking two to three long runs and practicing race pace in smaller chunks, not more than about eight or nine miles worth of work at that pace inside a long run because you don't want to overdo it. But that is a way to test and practice. Another way to do it is to pick a prep race. So for marathons, I like, to be, I like people to at least consider a half marathon if there's one that makes sense, somewhere between four and eight weeks out from race day, where you might not necessarily race it all out, but you might actually do that race with a significant portion at marathon pace, and then beyond that, try to finish strong off of that pace at the end. So I might have someone do a half marathon where they run in progression, starting maybe four miles slower than marathon pace, maybe 30 seconds slower, then maybe six miles fast at marathon pace, and then the final three miles faster than marathon pace. So you get that progression. It's a good workout. It's an opportunity to practice all the race elements, plus the mental side of racing, and you get to practice pace work, and then finishing strong off of that pace. So those are a couple of different ways to do it in long runs or in a prep race. I had no idea that pace work in long runs would be a thing. <laughs> but there, it's actually fun because I feel like it splits up the run differently yeah. mentally. Makes yeah. it go faster. Right. Okay, before we get to that next question from Nicole, I wanted to quickly talk about my partnership with Athletic Greens. I've been using them for about two months now. It's what I use to get my daily multivitamin, but it's so much more than that. It does include 75 high-quality vitamins and minerals, but also includes superfood complex, probiotics, and adaptogens to make sure that you're healthy and strong to perform how you need to as a runner. Again, I've been taking it for a couple of months now. I take it in the morning, after my workout, before my breakfast as a way to kickstart my day. I love the fact that it makes me feel like I'm starting my day strongly. Get that workout done, then have Athletic Greens to put my health first. So I highly recommend that you check it out for a bunch of reasons. One, it has high quality ingredients, as I mentioned, that will actually absorb. So you're not wasting what you're putting in your body. It also has less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals, no artificial anything. So again, high quality 
It's less than $3 a day, so cheaper than a cup of coffee. And it basically helps you invest in what they like to call a daily nutritional insurance to make sure you're covered for your health so that you can perform as a runner. It's working for me. I think it'll work for you. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash running rogue. Again, that is athleticgreens.com forward slash running rogue to take ownership over your health and pick up that ultimate daily nutritional insurance Go check it out. Now let's get back to my conversation with Nicole. She's got another question on long runs. Here we go. Okay. While we're on the topic of long runs, um, somebody's asking, um, or they said they have trouble understanding how they're going to run 26.2 at their marathon pace when they only run 20 slow. So that's the similar similar question. But what would you say, because I remember asking you this exact question and saying like, how the heck am I running 26.2 miles? if I've only run 20. So maybe touch on that part of it. And that maybe next time they should add the pace workout <laughs> to their long runs. Yeah, it's a good question because it is counterintuitive. And, and to answer that, basically we're trying to develop all parts of the aerobic system. And you need all parts of the aerobic system in order to get a result. And it's more complicated than this, but at the very simplest level, there's sort of two parts of the equation. On one hand, we need you to be able to run fast, right? We need to develop speed. On the other hand, we need you to develop a big aerobic system, develop what we call aerobic capacity, your global ability to process oxygen from the air to your working muscles. So we need to do both things. We need to make you fast, and we need to make sure you have aerobic capacity. Because when you put those things together, almost like a yin and a yang, that makes a whole cycle, a a full puzzle, that's going to allow you to get your goal on race day. So that's the general concept. But, but the trick in the counterintuitive part is that you work those two systems in very different ways. Mm-hmm. So we work speed by running fast, right? Those are the workouts where you might be doing intervals, you might be running fart licks, you might be doing reps at faster than marathon pace. That's one part of the Island. equation. That's where, where we fine tune the engine. The other part where we're building aerobic capacity or building our engine size is what's done when you run easy. That's what you, that's the benefit you get when you run those long, slow, easy, long runs. And so you need both pieces in that yin and yang in order to build a hole that allows you to go execute a race day. And if you stay in the middle, if you get stuck in the middle where you're constantly just running race pace, you actually end up in a physiological no man's land where you're not doing either one. You're mm-hmm. not building speed and you're not building aerobic capacity. You get stuck in what some would call junk mileage. And so that's the worst case scenario because if you, if you, if you live there and if you do all your long runs at race pace, you're actually not building those other two components that are really what you need to get your goal. So we have to polarize our training. In fact, I just did my last episode, episode 291 on is your training polarized enough? And I talk about this concept in that episode. Yeah, I remember going on a long run and being really proud of myself because I did it fast. <laughs> you were like, no, you're like, don't do that again. <laughs> but it, it does, it feels weird. And even like I've been running, you know, for years, but I didn't start working with you until just about a year ago. So it's crazy how much, you know, you learn and 
can change with that, which has been for the better, for sure. And, and one, one other point I would add for those that know strength training, and you do a lot of strength training, mm -hmm. if you were wanting to improve your max bench press, there's no way you would go to the gym and max bench every day. No. But that's essentially what people are thinking about when they're thinking about running marathon pace for all of their long runs. That doesn't work, right? In, in weight training, the same principles apply. We mm -hmm. polarize. We do more reps, lower weight most of the time. And then occasionally we max out. It's the same concept, but for whatever reason, we don't question it the same way. Right. All right. Moving on to fueling strategy. Um, what is your fueling plan the days leading up to your race and what to eat the week of race and on race day? Um, which is so different for everybody, but I know you have a good philosophy yeah. on this. And they're curious about hydration too, if you want to sneak that in there also. Yeah, it's a good question. I and just did an episode 290 on carbo loading or not. <laughs> and mm -hmm. so that would be one to check out if you want to dig into that question. But, you know, there's a lot of mythology about this idea of carbo loading before a race, whether it be a half marathon or a marathon. And there is science to suggest that it works. The problem is, if you're going to do it right and do it effectively, it's a process that takes five to seven days that requires a significant change in the diet that you're taking in. And so from my perspective, I don't recommend it unless, one, unless you're willing to follow that, those specific protocols, and I talk about them on that episode. But two, if you're also willing to take on the risk of significantly changing your food input over the course of five to seven days before your race, which from my perspective as a coach, isn't worth the risk because it's too complicated, takes too long in order to be truly effective. So my best advice is to eat normal things the week of in normal quantities. And what you'll want to do in your long runs in prep for your race is practice the things the night before that are going to be good for you in a sense that they make, they make you feel good the next day and they don't mess with your stomach in a way that's going to come back to haunt you. But normal foods in normal quantities. And then when it comes to race morning, this is also something you should practice because, again, it's all going to be specific to you. I recommend typically eating something 90 minutes to two hours before not a lot, maybe two to 400 calories max of something that's easy on the stomach that will go down easily and smoothly and won't mess with you. Then obviously getting into your race day nutrition, which we can talk about, again, something you should practice in all of your training runs. And then post-race, get a good solid balanced meal within the first 90 minutes afterwards, if possible, to kickstart recovery. But in general, it's not anything magical. It's really just recreating what you've done in training with foods that work for you. Um, and I think that was a huge takeaway for me during my last training is practicing all of those things because that's all a part of the training. And I don't think people realize that. Yep. Um, so on that note, what distance do I need to use gels? And they're asking about good brands. So again, that's going to be different for everyone. Yeah. Um, but yeah, what about fueling strategy during the race? So... If you're going to go the route of gels or choose anything that's, that's sugar-focused, then what I typically recommend there is obviously practice this in training to figure out what works for you. But typically, I recommend not even trying that stuff until your runs get over two hours because the body typically has enough glycogen on board to, to go for two hours. So you 
you, you want to make sure first that you're efficient at burning your own onboard fuel sources, which includes glycogen, which is essentially sugar stored on your body or carbs stored on your body, as well as fats. So don't practice this stuff until your long runs get over two hours. But once they get over two hours, I recommend practicing it on every single run over two hours until you find the formula that works for you. And what I recommend as a starting place is that you start your gels or choose one hour in and then come back to them every 35 to 40 minutes. Once you get that sugar rush, you have to come back because your insulin spikes, your body starts to look for that again after a certain period. And so before you hit that next drop or trough in your energy levels, you have to take another one. So start at one hour in, come back to it every 35 to 40 minutes until you're done. And so that's going to be, for most people, four to five gels in a, in a marathon, some more than that, depending on the time. But that's a general formula as a starting place. And then you kind of have to tweak it. Some people, I think, find that they do better with more frequency. Some people with maybe slightly less. But that's about the guidance that is a good starting place for experimentation. And then you have to ask yourself, well, what you know, gel brands do I like and what's going to work for me? And for this, I typically ask people to also reflect on, you know, how their body typically responds to certain inputs. Some people, if they get more manufactured sugar sources, have trouble with their stomach. So there are some brands that fall more in that camp and can be more disruptive for some people. There's also some brands that are more naturally oriented that might be easier on the stomach, but maybe a little more expensive or um, or something that may be harder to find. So, you know, Goo is the number one selling brand. And I would say it works for most people in my experience. Some people hate it, but for a lot of people, it works. It's cheap. It's, e it's easily available, readily accessible, a lot of flavor options. That's probably the number one thing that people use. But I have found, too, that for some people, that's harsh on their stomach because it is more manufactured sweeteners. Mm -hmm. And then I recommend Huma as an option. I know that's one that you use. That's mm -hmm. a, a good natural gel source. It's made from very simple ingredients. You can look on the package. There's five or six ingredients in each one. They use fruit puree, pure cane sugar, some chia, caffeine perhaps. And it's a very simple concoction that for most people goes down easily. Honey Stinger is another one that, that people like because it's naturally sweetened with honey. Morton Gels, it's a hydrogel product, sort of proprietary formula, but it's flavorless and goes down well for many people. So those are four that typically come to mind for those that want to have a few to experiment with. And then I also have to recommend UCAN as an option because that's a slower burning carb. That's something I use, something you take in drink form about 30 minutes before you start. And then it gives you two to four hours of energy out there on the run. So for some people, that's a way to potentially get them through the whole race if they're able to get it done in those time windows, if it's a half or a full, or potentially pushes out that point at which you need that first gel. So you might be able to start two hours in instead of one hour in and then carry fewer things on the run itself. So that's another option to consider if you're looking for other modalities. I finally bought the UCAN powder and then I haven't tested it yet, unfortunately. But I, I tried it before going to the gym just because I wanted to know what it tasted like. <laughs> it's a little chalky. It's, it's yeah, very chalky. That's something Acquired. that I think this is maybe a little bit strange that I do this, but if I'm trying a new gel, I'll have it like as a snack 
which sounds kind of silly but and wasteful, but I like to just have one to see how I feel just normally having it and if it settles well. Um, yeah. So I think that's a good way for those. I know some people have had like, like I personally had bad experience with goo and then I like never wanted to try gels again because I thought that that was how they all were. Um, so it's kind of a good way if you're nervous to try. Um, yeah, or try them on a shorter run. Try them on, you know, yeah. a five-mile run. You know, you're not using it for energy. You're just using it as a test to make sure it doesn't mess with you. Right. And that's a good way to, to try things out. Yep. Okay. Do you decrease strength training in a taper week? So, so for marathons, I typically recommend a three-week taper. For half marathons, typically a two-week taper. And my general advice is to maintain your strength routine until that final week. And then it becomes a question of whether or not you want to include it. I generally like people to maintain their routine no matter what. So do all your normal runs, but you're going to shorten them and you're going to do lower intensity. That can apply to strength as well. But I, I encourage people to trust their own intuition on that. If you were to push me and ask me, Chris, you know, say one way or another, I would generally tell people to avoid strength in that last week. But if you think it's going to make you crazy to not have that routine or make you feel like you're missing something or something, do something, but make it body weight oriented, make it mobility oriented, make it really mellow so that you're not taxing your body in a way that will affect the race itself. So basically keep it, keep that routine until your final week. And if you work with a trainer or someone who runs a class, maybe a group class or something like that, I would encourage you to consult with them too and get their perspective as well because they're a coach as well who you know, might have a perspective on what has worked for their clients in this. But that's what I typically recommend. When in doubt, don't do it that last week or do it, but keep it mellow, body weight, mobility oriented. All right. Um, somebody's asking, what should you do the night before the race? So I'm assuming they're asking about any rituals or things to avoid yeah i mean one thing of course is don't do anything new <laughs> you know don't uh experiment with anything at that point in, in this final weeks so you really that's a rule of thumb in general you know no new things to try no new gear no new nutrition elements no new projects around the house because you have more time you know don't do anything new in those final weeks and days and, and what I recommend that last day is really trying to structure it in a way that you can be most mellow and most calm. And everybody's going to have a little different formula for that. For me, that typically means streaming something that's light and fun and that I know will take my mind off the nerves of the race. That means eating a meal that is, you know, right down the middle of the fairway in terms of feeling uh, making me feel good, making me feel happy, but also making me have predictable responses to it. I like to do a little bit of mental prep where I will be thinking through my purpose, why, why I signed up for this race, why I want the goal that I want the next day. I'll think through and remind myself the mantras that I've been thinking through that I'm going to use on race day, sort of assemble my mental toolkit not a ton of time on that because I will have been doing that prep, but just remind myself those little pieces that I plan to bring to the mental side of the race. And then the last thing I like to do before I go to bed, and obviously you want to get to bed as early as you can and get plenty of sleep that night if you can. The last thing I like to do is something related to the end of the race. I like to look at the final mile on Google Maps 
figure out some sort of landmark or mental strategy that's going to help me cover that mile as fast as I can. And so that might mean when I did the Houston Marathon in 2018, I looked at you run across downtown in the final mile. You sort of enter from the west, you go across to the east side. And so I counted the intersections mm-hmm. in that That's final mile. That's how you knew exactly yeah. how many. <laughs> yeah. So I counted the intersections from the one side of downtown to the other so that when I got to that point, I could just count. And so I counted down from that point, counting off those intersections. So I knew how to unleash my final energy stores. And so I like to do something where I set landmarks around the end that's going to help me have that extra little kick and also that leaves me with a visualization of how i want everything to finish so that that's the last thing i think about before i go to bed and then it's the first thing i think about in the morning remind myself what cue i gave myself and then we go do it nice um, this is making me sad that I'm not racing. Um, I also just realized what time it was. I completely lost track. So let's do one more. Okay. Um, do you have time for one more? Yeah, I got time. Okay. Um, somebody just ran Chicago. Congratulations. Um, and they're wondering how they should recover. So obviously this is good for anyone. Yeah. Post race. Yeah. It's a good question. First of all, celebrate the results, right? We've got a and, and maybe it went poorly, but feel all the feels, right? If you, yeah. if, you had, if you had the day you wanted, celebrate that. Give it its space. A lot of times, I think when we succeed, we, we were always like jumping to the next thing automatically instead of just lingering for a moment on what you accomplished and reflecting on that. So celebrate the wins. And if you didn't have the day that you wanted, feel the feels of that, right? Feel all the feels. Grieve that loss if it wasn't the day you wanted get it all out because it isn't until you feel all the feels that you can really move on to the next. So that to me is step one. And then step two is give yourself plenty of time to recover in an active way. So I recommend a three week build back when you're starting to incorporate running again in a way that's super mellow, that responds to how your body's responding, that doesn't push anything related to speed for at least three weeks, three weeks, it takes about a day for each mile you race. So for a marathon, it's just over three weeks for your body to fully recover. Even if the soreness is gone, the muscles are still repairing themselves. So you want to make sure you're giving yourself plenty of time. So no workouts for three weeks. I do want you to run. And so I recommend typically building back very gradually. I recommend Wednesday after to be your first run if you've had that chance. If you've skipped that so far, that's okay since it's Thursday. But get at least one or two runs in before the week is out. Short, not more than maybe 30 minutes or three miles, <clears throat> somewhere in that range. Really mellow in terms of pace. Walk run if you have to, if that's what your body needs. And then gradually build back the days. So week two, you might add a few more days. So maybe get up to four, keeping three of those really short, and then do one that might be five or six miles. And then that fourth week, same thing, maybe get back to all of your normal days of running, four of those really short, and then one that might be eight or 10 miles if the body fills up for that. If not, that's okay. There's no rush. You don't want to overdo it. And if I could impress upon anything, any, any, or if I could make any point, it is to always err on the conservative side in that window back. And some people might say, I don't want to run for three weeks. And that's okay, too, if that's where your headspace is. But I would encourage you to still move. Find another way to move. Walking, 
spin bike, elliptical, swimming, whatever it may be, you do want to get that active recovery because that'll be a really important part of healing so that when you do start back that running routine, your body's more prepared for it. And then after those three weeks, then you can start trending back towards a normal schedule and thinking about races again. Cool. All right. I know uh, the fall marathon season is so exciting. Um, New York's yes. coming up in a couple of weeks, which I need to listen to your podcast on the New York marathon because I'm going to go. I'll oh, be there to watch awesome. Taylor. Yeah. Yeah. So it'll be exciting. That's amazing. Um, but yeah, so congrats to anybody who's been around Chicago or any of the fall marathons. Um, but we'll wrap here because I know that went a little bit over. Um, thank you, Chris. And anybody who has any other questions, feel free to DM me. Um, we talked about this a little bit earlier, but if people want to find you, Chris, they can DM me and I'll connect y'all or you can DM Chris himself. And then yep. it's Chris at roguerunning.com. Chris at Rogue Running, Rogue spelled R-O-G-U-E, not R-O-U-G-E. Oh, and of course, uh, you can find us at roguerunning.com. Yep. Cool. Well, thank you so much, Chris. Hopefully when we do this again in a few weeks, I'll be back to running. Fingers crossed. Yes. All right. All Thanks, right. Chris. See you later. Yep. See you, Nicole. So there you go. Love my conversations with Nicole. Her listeners always ask really good questions. So thanks to her for bringing the questions. Thanks to all of you who might have contributed that would be followers of her on Instagram. I do recommend her accounts. She's got a running one and a more fitness focused one. Her running account is at Nicole M Runs and her fitness account that's more strength oriented is at Nicole M Winter underscore both, both great follows. Nicole has a lot of positivity and good energy and what you see is what you get with her. So I think she's a great person to follow on Instagram and I'm excited to be a part of her journey to hopefully qualify for Boston in February. So with that, we'll wrap this episode. You can check out the offer codes that I mentioned in the episode in my show notes. You can also learn more about Rogue Running by going to roguerunning.com or follow us on, following us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at Rogue Running. You can also follow me at Rogue Chris or shoot me messages there if you desire. Otherwise, I will be back to you with another episode next week. We'll talk to you then.